0: Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, hello, good morning. It's good to be able to share with you today. Uh, And as Todd said, we are continuing our service on discipleship. Um, We've been doing this series, we kicked it off last week, and for those of you who watched it last week, you'll know that I actually shared a story about uh, how a member of our church, Rob, um, actually discipled me in how to service a car. Uh, And I mentioned... um, that I was going to need to do it again soon and perhaps potentially foolishly said that uh, I knew how to do it now and so I was confident to do it on my own. Uh, Well, I thought I'd report back that yesterday I did actually manage to service my car on my own. Uh, It took me way longer than it did when I did it with Rob, uh, but that's what happens when you do it with an expert. And the good news is it is still running and nobody died in the process. So uh, that's a win. So a big well done to Rob for his amazing discipleship in servicing a car. Um, But as we start this morning, I just want to share a bit of my own journey with discipleship because I was fortunate enough that discipleship was uh, something that became a part of my life quite early on. See, I grew up in a Christian family, uh, and actually I gave my life to Jesus actually on my 13th birthday, so I became a Christian at a reasonably young age. Um, But to begin with, that really didn't play much of a part in my life, even though I'd taken that step. Uh, there wasn't really much to show for it. Uh, My my faith really consisted of just going to church on a Sunday with my parents and then going to youth group on a Friday. And that was about it. Uh, But thankfully, I was part of an amazing church with an incredible youth ministry. had several youth pastors who were uh, really good at being intentional about getting into my life and just investing in me in various different ways. And I remember this one time uh, where one of the youth pastors had decided to take me out just to play some pool and hang out. Uh, and so we went to our local um, place where you could play pool and we were just um, playing a few games and just chatting and having a good time. And, and towards the end of this time, uh, he, he asked me this question. He suddenly turns to me and he says, OK, Ian, I've got to ask you the awkward youth pastor question. How are you doing in your relationship with Jesus? how are you doing with spending time with Jesus? And I've, I've got to be honest, my response, at least outwardly, was kind of barely there. I mean, there wasn't really much outward response at all, which I think just made uh, this guy feel even more uncomfortable and awkward about the situation. Um, and I, I think to this day, I don't think he realizes the impact that that question had on me. Because the reason why I was outwardly so, um, so lacking in response is because internally... I was completely stumped by this question. You see, I hadn't even considered it, I had no idea what it even meant to spend time with Jesus, let alone be able to answer the question how I'm doing with it. But what it did is it it sparked something in me, it sparked this curiosity and I I already had this desire to to want to know more, I was already in this place of kind of thinking, there's got to be something more to this step that I've taken, there's got to be something more to Christianity. And I'm so thankful that he asked me this question because it led to me actually having people begin to invest in me. Uh, These youth pastors came alongside me and they started to speak into my life. And they started to uh, just uh, show me how to spend time with Jesus. They they didn't just tell me that I, I needed to. They didn't just tell me how. They actually came alongside me and helped me to learn how to pray, how to read my Bible, how to spend time in worship. And it's thanks to these guys who invested in me when I was a teenager that I have the ability to uh, cultivate a deep relationship with God today. That is the power of discipleship. And it's the reason why we're doing this series to help you in your own journey as you are able to encounter God and go deeper in your relationship with him. But for those of you who are new to discipleship, just to recap, we at Antioch, we we define uh, discipleship to be one person helping others become lifelong, obedient followers of Jesus who in turn help others become the same. That is what discipleship is. It's when someone comes alongside you, it's life on life, uh, helping you to actually grow in your faith, not just talk to you about it, but actually show you how to do it. I'm aware that uh, for those of you who are watching, you all have various different experiences with discipleship. You see, some of you will have never heard of it before and you just wanted to find out what it is. Uh, Some of you may have never experienced it, but you've heard about it and you you may be resistant to it or you may be actually really excited to try it. Some of you actually maybe you just think, well, actually, I don't really feel like I, I need this. This doesn't feel important to me. I think I'm pretty good where I am. And then others of you, maybe you have experienced discipleship, but actually it didn't go so well. It may even have been something that was a painful experience for you. And hopefully there are those of you who have experienced discipleship and it's been good for you. You've actually seen change begin to happen in your life. You've grown deeper in your relationship with God as a result. And I hope that for some of you it's happened for so long it's actually been you consider it to have been life-transforming for you and that now you're in a place of being able to invest in other people. But whatever your experience is with discipleship, it's really important to understand that being discipled doesn't automatically equal personal growth. Being discipled does not automatically equal personal growth. Just because you are in a discipleship relationship, it doesn't actually mean that there is automatically going to be anything that changes about your relationship with God. You can actually be discipled for years without seeing any change or any growth in your relationship. And those who have actually spent years discipling other people will know this truth only too well. So the question is, what makes discipleship effective? Sadly, I've been in a lot of conversations with people who have, who have told me that they just don't think discipleship works. They, they see it as a waste of time. And often these people are those who have actually had some experience with discipleship, but it just didn't go so well for them. Uh, some of them uh, have, uh, were doing it for years and they just saw no change. They didn't see breakthrough in their life. They didn't see uh, a greater level of freedom or they just it still didn't feel all that close to God. And sometimes that is actually down to the person discipling them. They actually had a poor experience of discipleship. I'll be the first to admit in my years of learning how to disciple other people, I've definitely made mistakes along the way and I've definitely not offered the discipleship that people actually needed in order to grow. But most often when I have these conversations, it doesn't take me too long to realize that actually there's sometimes there's things that are a little bit closer to home that is actually causing them to actually not benefit from this. You see, there's actually sometimes, there's things about the way that we posture ourselves that actually makes us resistant to what discipleship actually has to offer. You see, for discipleship to work, we actually need the heart of a disciple. We actually need to have the heart of a disciple in order for us to actually receive everything that discipleship has to offer. So what is the heart of a disciple? What does that actually look like? Well, there's actually a lot of things that I could say here, um, but I just want to over the next three weeks, I want to share with you three things that I have found to be absolutely key in order for us to really get the most out of discipleship. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list but As I've spent years being discipled and investing in other people, and as I've spoken to others who've uh, spent years and are further down the line with me than me uh, with making disciples, these three things have come up as consistent things that make or break things in discipleship. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks kind of exploring these and, and, and how do we cultivate these in our lives. And the first thing is actually, in order to have a heart of a disciple, we need to have hunger. We need to be hungry for more of God in our lives. We need to actually have a hunger for more of His presence and to go deeper in our relationship with Him. It's kind of how uh, when we're physically hungry, uh, you know, when you're physically hungry, you, you're desperate for food. You, you, when you're physically hungry, you go and eat. It's an automatic response that you would go and do that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where kind of you've eaten a meal and then you've, uh, you've gone to somebody's house and uh, they, you didn't realize it but they've cooked you a meal or they're just that really hospitable person who just really wants to give you snacks or food or biscuits. And uh, I often experience this when I, I go to my grand's house. She, she loves to uh, bring out the cakes and the biscuits and whatever food, bacon sandwiches. She just, she just loves to be hospitable and just bring those things out. And I've learned now that I shouldn't go to her house after I've just eaten because I know that I have no choice but to eat. <laughs> and, and so when we're, when we're not hungry, we're actually the, the idea of eating more is actually kind of it, it's off-putting. We kind of try and avoid it. But actually when we're hungry, when we actually desire food, we want to eat. And when we're spiritually hungry, we want to feed that. We actually want... To, uh, to meet with God, we actually have this desire to do things that perhaps maybe feel uncomfortable or maybe feel difficult because we want that uh, place, that hunger in our heart to be fed. You see, all discipleship does is give direction to desire. Discipleship can't Force you to be hungry. It can't make you hungry. It can only give the direction, it can give the discipline and the help that you need to actually feed your desire. The Apostle Peter, uh, in 1 Peter, he says this He says, uh, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Peter says that we should crave and cry out for spiritual milk. And I have four kids, I have four daughters, and so I I know this kind of crying out, this kind of craving that he's talking about here. You know, this is a a crying out that I have heard at 9 o'clock in the evening, and then again at 11 o'clock in the evening, and then again at 1 o'clock in the morning, and then again at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then at 5 in the morning. It's a crying out that, you know, even now it kind of brings me terrible flashbacks and uh, just endless sleepless nights. And, you know, Katrina and I, uh, we would sometimes play this unofficial game uh, where we'd both be woken up by this crying and it would be a kind of competition to see who can hold out the longest, who's going to give way and go and go to the baby. And needless to say, this is a competition between just me and Katrina. This isn't a competition to see whether that baby's going to stop crying. Because this hunger that Peter is talking about is a hunger that will not stop until it is fed. It is a hunger that will continue to cry out. And the, the, the longer it goes, the more it will cry out for this, for this food, for this spiritual milk, because we know how much we need it. It's not a hunger that says, yeah, I, I could eat. It's not a hunger that says, yeah, I'll just cry out a little bit, and if nobody comes now, yeah, I'll, I'll get something later. No, th- they will not stop crying. Believe me, they won't. And they will keep crying until they get what they need. This is the kind of hunger that Peter is talking about. I remember uh, when I first moved to university, uh, I got involved with a discipleship group here, or a Bible study group who were really passionate about discipleship and uh, I very quickly g- began to get discipled by two guys in this group. and um, they, they were fantastic, but the problem was they, they were older than I was. They were both working full-time. Uh, one of them had a family. The other was engaged to be married. and So they had busy lifestyles. And the only time that a lot of the time that they had available for me to have discipleship with them was while one of them was training for a marathon uh, at 6 in the morning I would have to get up in the cold and the dark and the wet and go on a run with them in order to get discipleship I just want to say I I had never at this point been up at 6 in the morning and I am NOT a morning person Uh, my wife can testify to that I, I set three alarms in the morning, and the most effective one that gets me up is the angry voice of my wife when the third one has gone off and I still haven't got up. I'm not a morning person. And so this presented me with this dilemma. It forced me to ask this question. How much do I want it? And I decided that, you know, I'd seen enough in these guys of. Uh, Jesus that I wanted to have in my own life. So I decided to, to take this step. So I would go on these runs at 6 in the morning, uh, running somewhere between 5 and 10 miles, uh, depending on whatever they decided was uh, necessary for their training. Uh, and, and during this run, they would make me recite Scripture that they had told me to memorize that week. And then I would have to explain to them what this passage means, what God was trying to say through it, and how it should be applied to my life, and what I was actually doing to apply it to my life. And then they would begin to grill me on different areas of my life. How am I doing in purity? How am I doing with spending time with Jesus? How am I doing with my studies? I remember one of the times, one of the scriptures that I had to memorize was actually Romans 1.16, where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all those who believe First for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. I remember sharing this scripture and I think they pretty quickly picked up that actually this really wasn't something that was close to my heart. And the truth is I was actually ashamed of my faith. Uh, I didn't want to share it with people because I, uh, during my teenage years I'd had experiences of bullying because of my faith. And so I had no intention of sharing it with anybody who uh, wasn't already a Christian. And one of the guys recognized this, and so he actually uh, decided that discipleship this next week needed to uh, just be a Bible study. Uh, And so he arranged for us to have a Bible study in the quiet room of the university library during peak exam season. And so I said, I sat in this library, everybody else around us quiet, a packed out room, and I'm I'm there like out loud, reading scripture and kind of talking about what it means, and essentially just using it accidentally as a way to witness to people around me. And I'll promise you, I died a thousand deaths doing this. It's fair to say that if I wasn't hungry, I wouldn't have got very far in this journey. I wouldn't have been discipled by these guys for very long. And just for those of you who are new to discipleship, I just want to make it clear uh, that this isn't necessarily an accurate picture of what discipleship is like. This is actually a pretty intense version of discipleship that uh, was actually a very hard thing to to go through. Uh, Not all of discipleship needs to look like that. But I look back now, and even though it was difficult, I'm so thankful for the way that those guys invested in me because it completely changed my life. I look back at those moments and see them as some of the most uh, intimate moments with God, and I see them as the most transformative in my life. Now, I'm sharing this, and I know that there's going to be a lot of you who are watching, and this isn't really all that helpful for you. You know, it's, it's good to be told that you need to be hungry, but what do you do if you're not hungry. You know, it's, it's not something that we can manufacture. It's not something we can just conjure up. And the reality is, like, the, Peter talked about us craving it, crying out for it, and the truth is most of us, that isn't a very accurate picture of what our lives are like. And I'll be honest, that there's definitely times in my life where I don't feel that hunger in my own life. And so, how do we become hungry? How do we become hungry? Well, I, I wrestled with this for a long time. You know, I've had periods of my life where I just knew I wasn't hungry. I knew I was supposed to be, but I wasn't. And so I spent a lot of time uh, just trying to figure this out. And the more I tried, the, the more I just felt just condemnation and shame because I wasn't hungry, but I had no idea how to actually get there. But then eventually I realized that hunger can't be manufactured, but it can be nurtured. Hunger can't be manufactured, we can't just conjure it up, but it is something that can be nurtured in our lives. You see, the incredible thing about spiritual hunger is it actually doesn't act in the same way that physical hunger does. You see, with physical hunger, when you're hungry, you eat and you're no longer hungry but it's a law of the kingdom that when we feed our spiritual hunger, we become more hungry. We actually, uh, God has this amazing ability to take our hunger and when we give it to him, he actually both satisfies in a way that nothing else can and make us more hungry in the process. And so my encouragement to you is just take whatever hunger you have, and feed that hunger. Feed the hunger you have. And the the great thing is, actually, you only need a tiny, small amount of hunger. It's like an ember. You only need the tiniest little ember to create a fire. And that tiny ember, when when it's nurtured right, when it's treated the right way, can become a flame, and then it can become an even bigger fire, and it can become a raging fire. So even if you have just the tiniest little bit of hunger, feed it. And I just want to say, maybe you actually don't feel like you have any hunger, but if you are watching this right now, then you are already showing that you have at least some hunger in you, a desire for more of God in your life. Feed it. Feed the hunger that you have, because God will help it to grow in you. And so we actually feed hunger by asking God for hunger. We feed hunger by actually asking Him to make us more hungry. That passage in 1 Peter actually says that we should cry out for this nourishment. And so I encourage you, if you are in a place and you're not feeling hungry, just begin to pray and ask God to help you become more hungry. It's actually okay to acknowledge to Him that you're not hungry. there's times where I've had to pray, God, I know I'm not hungry for you. I know I'm not desiring you like I have done, like I should. God, would you just help me to be more hungry? Would you just take whatever hunger I have, whatever is in me, whatever little burning ember I have, would you take it and would you breathe on it and would you make me burn for you again? Pray and ask God to help you be more hungry. We also feed hunger by reading his word. When we read his word, it actually begins to feed us. And we actually, uh, through this process, we get more hungry. Uh, Matthew 4.4 4 says, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And obviously this is talking about when God speaks. And, and it's good to take time to just listen to God and ask him what he's speaking, what he's saying. But the predominant way that God speaks is actually through The Bible. And so I encourage you just to pick up your Bible and just begin to read. Just read about what is possible uh, that God demonstrates to us in the Scripture. Read about who it says God is. Read about what it's, the things that He has done, the miracles, the healings, the, the people He set free, the salvations, the, the ways that He demonstrated love. And I promise you, as you begin to read this, you will soon begin to find more and more that uh, this hunger for more begins to stir in your heart. I like to think of it almost like when we do uh, cookery classes uh, on TV. You know, it, There's all these, these shows, these channels of um, just amazing chefs cooking food. And you start to watch these things, and suddenly you didn't realize just how hungry you actually were. And suddenly you're desiring food. And uh, you, Moments ago, you weren't thinking about food at all, but because you've watched it, you've seen it, and uh, you've seen how good it can be, that is when you start to crave it. And when we do this with the Word, when we go to His Word and we see Him in action and we see His character, we begin to crave Him more and more. And I know this isn't always the most enjoyable thing to do it in the moment when we're lacking hunger, but I promise you, if you continue to do it, even just a small amount each day, just continue to do it as much as you can. I challenge you to do it for a month and just see what God can do in that month. to see how hunger grows in your life. We also feed hunger uh, by being with hungry people. You know, hunger is actually contagious. If you spend time around people who are hungry, you'll find that you start to, this hunger starts to grow in you. It's actually inspiring for us. My wife uh, has this terrible habit. Uh, when she's feeling cold, she actually will come and she'll, she'll put her cold feet on me. And I usually recoil and, and kind of gasp as, as I feel her cold feet on my body, which is why it's such a terrible habit. She should never do it. Um, but she does it for a reason. Because she knows that she is cold and I am warm. And she knows that if she puts her feet on me, I am actually going to warm her feet up. I prefer the option of slippers, but um, she, she goes with that one. And you know when we go around people who are uh, hot for Jesus, when they are passionate for Jesus, when they are hungry for more of Him, it actually has this warming effect on us, and it actually begins to uh, make us more hungry for Him. So spend time around people who are hungry. Discipleship requires hunger. Hunger does not work without... uh, Discipleship does not work without hunger. But actually, this is also a great place to begin in your journey with discipleship. To take the hunger that you have, even if it is a tiny ember, just take it and allow someone to come alongside you and help you put in the practices, put in the disciplines that are in place to actually uh, just cultivate and nurture that hunger that you do have and let it grow in you. we're going to take some time just as a way to close by uh, just singing a worship song. And the, the reason why we're picking this uh, this song to worship to at the end is because uh, we want you to use it intentionally as an opportunity to nurture hunger within you. You may be uh, listening to this and you may be on fire for Jesus. You may have such passion for him and, and you feel... Uh, a closeness to Him, or maybe you are uh, more in the, the tiny ember place. But whatever uh, hunger you have, I want to encourage you to give it to Jesus through this, this song as we worship. Give this tiny ember or this, uh, this raging fire that you have and, and just invite Him to come and breathe on it, to, to make it grow, to increase your hunger. Let me pray for you. Jesus, God, I thank you that you are always faithful to, uh, to satisfy our hunger for you when we come to you. And I thank you that you have this amazing ability to increase our hunger as a result of that, that we are both satisfied and that we crave more. So Lord, would you uh, firstly just break off any condemnation Surrounding this idea of uh, lack of hunger, God, I pray that there'll be nobody who uh, just feels a, a condemnation or a helplessness because they recognize that there is a lack of hunger in their life. And Lord, I pray that you would help every single one of us to give whatever hunger we have, no matter how small, to you so that you can breathe on it. And Lord, I pray that you would just stir up a deeper hunger for us. Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us people who can help come alongside us to disciple us and help us to grow in hunger. We want more of you, God. We need more of you to come and move in our lives as we worship right now. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.